Today, you and I can actually crowdsource ideas um, and get skills through those ideas and solve for that same problem. So the amount of different insights which is derived through data is actually fascinating. So all of that is uh, collective intelligence. On Tech Talks today, we welcome Shibu Nambiar, the gem-packed COO for Europe, UK and Africa, who's talking to us about your business's collective intelligence and how that can help with inclusion. Also on the show, we're looking forward to the Leeds Digital Festival, which had its start today, slightly delayed by the state funeral here in the UK, but carrying on all the way through to the 30th of September with literally hundreds of events that you could attend. This is Tech Talks, your weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, powered by Nash Squared. I'm joined by Akish, in person, sat in front of me. How are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. This is a rare treat. How long has it been? What, since we did one of these in, pe- in person? Yeah, um, I, was, I was trying to think off the top of my head. I don't think we've done an in-person podcast since we've been in this office and you alluded to it in the interview. Really? I don't think so, unless... It's, I, don't, I don't think we've done one in this office. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Eight, nine months? It's not like we haven't been here. No. But I mean, you've been here a lot. I, I am, yeah. But the days that we've recorded are the days that one of us are working from home. Yeah, just so happens that because of the Queen's funeral, there was no Monday, so Tuesday is Monday. Correct. Hence the podcast going out a little bit later in the day than it normally would. Yeah. Did you you invest some time in being a monarchist? Invest time. I I think I told you earlier on, I am heavily invested. Heavily invested. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Before the funeral, I was like, I didn't really have a clue. I knew who the royals were and all this sort of stuff. (laughs) But now, I am kind of addicted to it. I was telling someone over lunchtime, I uh, followed all their Instagram pages, didn't know that each palace had their own Instagram page. I didn't know each palace did. Yeah, they did, yeah. Buckingham Palace, St. James's Palace. Um, what they put like, on their Instagrams? Well, they, I mean, they put the same thing on. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, you never know. Um, and then they've got, like, um, you know, the Duke and Duchess of... Cambridge have their own, like, Insta. Now the Wales is, of course. The Wales is, yeah. Um, yeah, mate, I'm, I was Googling and YouTubing a lot of things. Um, and now if you go onto my YouTube, you get, like, the Royal Family Channel is, like, suggested because that's how much I was YouTubing yeah. over the weekend. So, yeah. See, we have got an international podcast audience these days and they're probably going, what on earth are these two on about? But at the same time, our American listeners will be lapping this up. Two Brits talking about royalty. They'll be <laughs> loving it. Yeah, they were loving it. You know, they're, they're, uh, the, the US president was over, wasn't he? He did, although although did you see that Mr Trump was not very impressed with where Mr Biden was sitting? Row 14, I heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, this is how little they respect. Oh, shut up. Yeah. Shut up, well, Donald. I mean, it's not always about the US, is it? Oh, I don't know if I can say that. But... <laughs> we can. It was, it was the Queen's funeral. It, yeah. wasn't, it, was, it was lovely and respectful. That he it wasn't the, the G8 summit no. where, where they would get front and centre. No, um, he took the time to come and we appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Uh, moving on to talk about technology. Today's episode, uh, our guest is Shibu, Chief Operating Officer for Europe, UK and Africa at Genpact. And then we've got a little bit of a conversation about Lee's Digital Festival, which kicked off today. Uh, slightly delayed, of course, because of the funeral. So Stuart Clark, Festival Director, is joining us later on the show. But we're going to hand over to Shibu. We'll be back in a bit. Today I'm joined by Shibu. Uh, Shibu, you are the Chief Operating Officer 
for Europe, UK and Africa at Genpact. How are you this morning? I'm doing great, Dave. Thank you for having me here. I think we should tell the listeners that this is your first podcasting experience. Well, I was hoping that you're going to say that, but <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm a bit nervous, but I will... Given, given you lead a rather large organisation, I don't think there's any need for you to be nervous about this, but I really appreciate you giving up some time. Thank you so much. Pleasure's on me. Just very quickly, obviously COO, people probably have a, have a fairly clear idea about what that might be, but what is your role within Genpact? As uh, Chief Operating Officer for Europe, UK and Africa at Genpact, um, I have this phenomenal opportunity to drive value to our clients, to our teams, and also the macro ecosystems we operate from. Um, and I think at the core of my role, I get to experiment a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I must say, it's actually, I find this very unique uh, in the jobs, jobs like this in large corporations. Um, and since we are also spread across 15 countries in the regions which I support, um, I have used the fragmentation of these countries and the spread of us uh, to our own advantage. So it's literally saying, hey, I'm raising my hand for a ex new experiment, whether that experiment is for trying out a uh, new transformation opportunity for the clients we serve, or building up a new vocational training with partnership with governments where we operate from, or to even simple things like, uh, hey, I'm gonna try a new operating model using artificial intelligence. So it's actually a bundle of all of those things which I get to do at Genpact. You talk there about experimenting. Uh -huh. I think that's quite interesting. Um, when you talk about that, and I looked at some of the material that was sent over beforehand, the, t the phrase collective intelligence jumped out to me. That felt like that was experimentation. Uh, it felt like it was something quite new, at least to the, to the conversations that I've had. Yeah. So in the spirit of experimentation, and I suppose innovation to a degree, what do you mean when you talk about collective intelligence? Oh, great. I, I like the way you said it's new. And let me actually dwell a little bit on that. Look, starting from uh, ordering an Uber to come to your studio today, uh, recording this conversation and then you making it available for people to listen to as part of your podcast series. All of that is actually a good example of collective intelligence. Um, uh, the modern world, calendar year 2022, uh, we're actually uh, using collective intelligence consciously and unconsciously almost every single day. Um, so think about it. Instead of uh, using established playbook um, to solve for a problem, today you and I can actually crowdsource ideas um, and get skills through those ideas and solve for that same problem. So the amount of different insights which is derived through data is actually fascinating. So all of that is uh, collective intelligence. Um, for many years, I was always attracted to the term diversity of intellect. When you think about uh, how that diversity comes to play with the use of right tools or technology, the outcome of that for me is collective intelligence. Um, let me give you an example. At Genpact, we use a tool called Amber. Amber is our AI enabled engagement bot. Um, 
The idea of this bot is to go and talk to our employees, which is 110,000 people spread across 35 countries, mm -hmm. and go and talk to them at different intervals of their time at Genpact and learn about their mood. So think about it. It's not a typical questionnaire where you ask a yes or no questions to understand how employees feel. It's focused on mood. So the variables on how the answers can be is actually very broad. And put a multiplication factor of that to uh, 110,000 plus people around the world, um, the, the collective data available now can translate into amazing insights, which can allow us to become a better company for our people and through our people, for our customers and for the services which we provide. All of that is collective intelligence. You talk there about crowdsourcing information. I think that's fascinating because in terms of crowdsourcing ideas, if I think about it, I crowdsource ideas from LinkedIn, from Twitter, yeah. from conversations over coffee in the office. It's online, it's offline. How do you know when you're building a tool like Amber, what data to collect? You know, Because for one organization, it might be different to another organization. It must be really difficult to know which data is relevant and which data is superfluous information. Great question, Dave. You're absolutely right. We don't know. And I must say sometimes today, I say, Am I collecting the right information when I ask this specific set of questions to all the employees? Because think about it, if I have an employee in Romania versus Portugal versus South Africa versus Czech Republic versus India or China or US or in uh, Mexico, so we are spread across, the demographics where they are coming from uh, and the cultures they are representing and their own education backgrounds and the type of jobs which they do for us at Genpact and for the customers which we serve. All of that has a direct influence on the way they answer to those simple three, four questions which you're asking. So those data can be very different. So how do you actually collect all of that? Collecting data is the easiest part. Mm -hmm. Generating insights through that data using, of course, machine learning and other AI tools is then giving us opportunities to look at patterns, opportunities to look at specificities of regions so that we can then summarize that into broad opportunities and then start working on those opportunities. So it's a, it's a little bit around, okay, I've collected all the data, but can I now use this data to benefit both my employees and the larger organization uh, for a positive impact? One thing I wanted to ask, uh, and, and certainly picking up on that theme of kind of a positive impact, is how this might foster diversity and inclusion. I mean, stands to reason, obviously, if you're crowdsourcing from multiple different sources, that it's going to be diverse. <clears throat> but it's one thing to say, oh, there's lots of different ideas, and therefore there's diverse thinking, to actually promoting inclusion. So how, do, how does it help foster that? Yeah, I think that's a great leading question, Dave. Um, let me try to answer that with a couple of scenarios. Scenario number one. Um, my direct leadership team has 11 nationalities. So a bunch of Eastern Europeans, uh, Central Europeans, British, American, Indian. Um, every conversation gets its own spin because of the differences they bring to the table. Um, at the start of it, most often it's a complete chaos. And I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes I do get to witness Bollywood-style drama, if you know what I mean. But on a serious note, as the diversity of intellect from this group uh, starts to reach collaborative ground, uh, it is actually so exciting to see the collective intelligence comes in, come into play. Um, 
Now think about the conversations of those 11 nationalities. Then you put the same multiplication factor I spoke about earlier, which is now observed and watched and seen by groups of people in my own teams, which is over 10,000 people spread across 15 countries in the regions I support. Um, everybody starts to then use similar approach because they start to see the value of having uh, a diverse thinking come together. Um, over a period of time, the same things when you practice and keep doing, um, in my view, it's a very practical demonstration of direct impact to diversity and inclusion uh, through collective intelligence. You assert in, um, just to be very kind of drawing back the curtain and Wizard of Oz about it all, obviously we, we, we received some information from the PR company prior to the interview. And in that it talks about um, where being less important than who. Yeah. What do you say to companies struggling with the notion that location should be agnostic? Because there are organizations who believe that in-office culture is paramount. Yeah, uh, and I don't completely disagree with that statement. Um, having said that, I want to believe that we all have learned a lot through this pandemic. Um, as we look for possible silver lines, talent, anywhere, anytime, and for certain type of jobs, not for all, but for certain type of jobs, even anyone. So just to summarize that, so talent anywhere, anytime, anyone is a massive opportunity for all of us. Um, there are a lot of debates, as you rightly pointed out, Dave, there are a lot of debates on bringing people back to office due to a variety of perceived reasons. I'm actually stressing on the word per perception. Uh, in my humble view, we cannot allow the experience of this brutal pandemic go to waste by simply going back to calendar year 2019 and say, hey, it worked in office, let's all go back to work or go back to office. Uh, remote work is here to stay. Uh, what we need is to learn how to engage, uh, how to collaborate, how to continue to build the right culture uh, when we are not together under the same roof. So how do you do that? Mm. Um, so for me, where, to your, to your question, where you are or from is becoming less and less important as long as you bring the right skills, knowledge and aptitude. Um, and by the way, uh, we are far from being perfect, lots to learn, to correct and to adjust. But the new ways of working must cater for multiple cohorts of people. Um, I believe, Dave, it's a reset opportunity for how we recruit, um, where we recruit from, uh, and how we look at talent in general. Um, so, for example, at Genpact, we are in the middle of a series of experiments. Remember, I said... I get to experiment. So we are in the middle of a series of experiments. Some of them have scaled to over 2000 employees within those specific experiments uh, with outcomes which are looking very positive on core metrics such as uh, talent retention, customer satisfaction, operating costs, and all of them obviously pushing our growth agenda in the right direction. So again, to summarize, 
it's not all black and white and clear. Uh, experiments must continue. We are in the middle of all of that. Um, and we need to change. We need to reset. And we need to cater for different groups of people around the world uh, because one size does not fit all. But you're talking about those experiments. You say that some of them are up to 2,000 strong. Yeah. It's interesting that you talked about perception of what work is and resetting to 2019. We're in a lovely new office that we moved to in in January, and it is it is a fabulous office, but it is an office that was set up for a very traditional style of work. Correct. How much attention are organisations paying, to, therefore, to, to the environment? Because I suppose how perceptions are shaped yeah. is the type of environment you work into, where there are banks of desks and a li- limited number of meeting rooms. How much How much attention is being paid to not just whether you're at home or in the office, but the tools, whether or not the tools are fit for a modern way of working, the office environment, are organizations taking that into account as much as they could? Um, I think the answer is yes and no and in between. Um, uh, Let me give an example. We have uh, one of our largest operating centers is in Bucharest in Romania. Uh, We have approximately 4,000 seats in one of the cool buildings in the city. Um, And like you said, uh, pre-pandemic, that office was set up for hundreds of people to sit together, shoulder to shoulder in many cases, with collaboration rooms and training facilities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and because we operate for a variety of customers in different industries, we also create uh, compliance walls. Compliance walls is I have segregated uh, areas for specific clients, et cetera. Uh, la- over two years, the work is not in the office. It's remote. Um, We have used technology to enable compliance, but still people are remote. Even today, lots of people are still remote. So coming back to office and then putting people in the same environment just doesn't make any sense. Mm. So now we are remodeling. A bunch of those floors are now made to look like a coffee shop where people can all come together and work. But more than working together for the few days in a week they are coming, I want them to engage with each other and learn from each other um, through a variety of events which we want to organize. For example, uh, we are organizing hackathons. And as we organize hackathons on Lean and Six Sigma and digital tools, people come with ideas. Um, They share those ideas. And then through those ideas, we distill them to a few uh, POCs. And then we say, okay, let's take this proof of concepts and build it into our transformation agenda for our clients. It's all exciting. Mm. It's all new. Um, Many things don't work the way we thought. Sometimes people don't show up. But I think what's important is to keep going at it. What's important is to keep experimenting. What's important is to keep asking ourselves, uh, we have this amazing opportunity to reset, so we should reset. Um, and And try not to fall into the old habits because it's very easy, including you and me, to fall into old habits. So how do you actually avoid that? We talked about some, some principles that I imagine most people will, will get on board with and take some, some solace and some, uh, some positive um, actions from. But with regards to collective intelligence, are there any kind of tangibles that you can, that you can point to that demonstrate how it's delivering results for people and for organizations? Absolutely. Uh, Let me try to make it as simple as possible, Dave. 
um, Google or Amazon reviews, uh, peer reviews on vaccine efficacy. We heard about that so much in the last few years. Um, customer satisfaction scores or net promoter scores, or even right left wing political views um, around the world. Um, all of them, including simple things like uh, manager employee feedback, all of them um, are great examples of data which flows into collective intelligence. The combination of technology, people, and process which derives that data combined with deep cultural understanding will always help us build the, uh, the tangible benefits which you're talking about. So it's not, okay, I have this data available, so let's just use that data. It's not about, hey, I have used this technology or new set of AI-enabled services and just that can work in isolation. Uh, it's not about, hey, I have this new set of practices available which I can apply. It's a combination of all of that. And how do you actually stitch all of those together to form the collective intelligence? Um, and then uh, the next new, the coolest rideshare app, which you and I will use uh, next week, um, is going to be built on uh, the effectiveness and reliability which you and I ask for. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts. It's nice to do an episode in person. So many have been remote since the pandemic. Um, and yeah, I think every, every organization could do with a little Bollywood drama. I mean, it's cool. <laughs> I, I get to witness that often. So I'm actually very lucky, but it's amazing. <laughs> how, uh, like I said, the collective intelligence comes into play every single day all around us. We yeah. just have to look for it. Thank you, Shibu. Thank you so much, Dave. Akish, how much collective intelligence do you think we have at Nash Squared? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's any funky AI tools knocking around, unless there is, and I'm not aware of them. Um, I'd say none. No, come no. on. No, 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 no. Uh, that's, that's a surefire way to get us fired. Okay, that's true. Uh, uh, a, handful. a handful. I reckon there's plenty of collective intelligence. And look, on a serious note, I think that this is a really nice message about, about the, the importance of staying connected and the human factor. Yes, yeah, Shibu okay. says hybrid is here to stay. We're not moving back to, mm. to, to in-office cultures, mm. in his opinion. But he does also make the point that the human factor is incredibly important. It is. It is. And weirdly enough, whilst we were walking into this meeting room, I asked you what you were doing here and you said you had a meeting. I did. Today, which was one of the drivers for you being in the office. Um, so, again, going back to that human element, that's there in live form, right? Yeah. Um, if you didn't if you didn't want to have that meeting in person, you could have had it over a Teams, I'm sure, or could have Zoom done. or whatever, but the fact that you were trying to make full advantage of two people's presence being in the office together, I think that was great. Yeah. Let's face it, you are more likely to have a connection with someone if you meet them in person. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's inescapable. Yeah. Nothing technology-wise has, has sufficiently replicated the kind of connection you get when mm. you sat with someone. Yeah, 100%. And going back to um, the point in the interview as well, we, I was speaking to a client and they have had, over the last uh, year, they have had 30% more rejections to interviews mm. 
right? It's a second stage interview. It's not talking about first stage. It's a second stage interview is for, um, you know, kind of jobs at various levels because they think that's due to the lack of relationship or rapport building on online interviews. Mm -hmm. So they're now scrapping their online interviews Mm -hmm. for their second stage and they're encouraging people to meet face-to-face because they feel that they can actually attract more people um, kind of doing that. So, yeah. But here's a question that I'll put you on the spot with. You're you're one of the co-chairs of our D, uh, E and I Mm. committee. Mm-hmm. Diversity very close to the heart of what you do at this organisation. Mm. Shabu talks about the fact that a diverse wor- workforce operating in a hybrid, flexible manner will always find the best solutions because the best ideas come from people, not locations. Mm. I think it's quite a bold statement. But I would, I would strip that back and say a diverse workforce will get the best results anyway. So. I mean, even if they come from different locations, <coughs> yes, that could add to their diversity. You could have someone, let's say, in the UK from the north or the south or wherever. Um, but I, th- I, I think when you when you encourage that, and you, it's all about the the culture that he kind of alludes to in the interview as well, and having a culture where people can collaborate or people can bring their ideas. I think that's what drives it. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity is an ingredient. I think, but you need to have, you know, other things that go along with it in order for it to succeed and and, and kind of come out on the other side. I do think, though, there is a very relevant point that having people in different locations, different experiences, feeding into your collective is going to make you a stronger organisation. Yeah. Doesn't, they're, they're not, you can have both. You can have people living in different parts now of the world in different locations coming together and still having a human factor. And I think that's the point, you know. Organisations just have to be a lot more flexible. And mm. there are there are opportunities and advantages to having that wider pool of people in different different living, living uh, arrangements and uh, living circumstances. Yeah, and I, and I think organisations... I, I think the industry that we're in, I mean, you know, or... or the, the, the kind of job that I do, I am a, a recruitment consultant as a day-to-day and we traditionally, um, you know, have been very kind of office-based and, and our kind of industry, but the fact that we've changed and we work with our colleagues in Poland, we work with our colleagues in India, um, it just adds to ideas, it adds to kind of tips and tricks that we can kind of actually focus on on a day-to-day mm-hmm. and speak to our colleagues from other parts of the world lean on them for guidance and support but also at the same time just have another opinion on things and I Mm -hmm. think that that probably adds more into an organization being successful um but I'd I'd love to know what we've what you think we've got internally from a like a tool to help us understand our kind of collaboration or what we're doing I I, I still think that those tools need to be properly evolved i think that the the tools that we're using at the minute if we're being perfectly honest are tools that were built pre-pandemic that Mm. are being sharpened fine-tuned to try and work in a post-pandemic world but there are relatively few tools that have been designed specifically for the new modes of working yeah Yeah. i think so but i think i think also depending on organization size right a lot of organizations especially in the scale-up sort of community they can probably integrate tools and, and, and things which allow them to understand things a lot better. But if you look at us, for example, um, 
we're spread geographically, but we're also spread via different brands within our business. Mm -hmm. Within those brands, we have different people doing an ops role, a finance role, a marketing role, a sales role, right? So I think in order to integrate that fully and actually get the data and the results, I think it's a little bit different. It's a hard job. Yeah. It's undoubtedly hard. You mentioned the North. What do you know about Leeds? What do I know about Leeds? Average football team. Oh, uh, no. no. This, this isn't going to endear us to our, to our next guest. Have <laughs> I blown it? Uh, uh, no, 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 Stuart, no, no. Stuart, we'll re-record that. Yeah, yeah. Akish, <laughs> tell me what you know about Leeds. So, uh, what do I know about Leeds? Great cricket ground. Great cricket ground. Uh, I don't know what it's called now. Headingley, the Carnegie, yeah. whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yorkshire tea, Yorkshire. Yeah. Um, yeah, the White Rose. As compared to the Red Rose of Lancashire, absolutely. Um, Lee Rhinos uh, in the super in the grand final again. Are they they are, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Josh Warrington. I don't know who that is. He's a boxer. Okay. Big Leeds fan. Also yeah. a hotbed for medtech, for cybersecurity, for unicorns, for scaling businesses, and all things digital. Which is why we're going to take a trip up the A1 to go and find out what's going on during Leeds Digital Festival, starting today, slightly delayed because of the state funeral yesterday, but running through to the 30th. Have a listen to this and have a lovely week. So I'm very lucky to be joined by Stuart, Festival Director of the Leeds Digital Festival, which kicked off on Friday night. Yes, we had a launch party last week and uh, and uh, the festival itself started uh, this morning. Uh, so uh, it should have started on Monday the 19th, but obviously we know what, what happened on uh, Monday. So we started this morning and we have about 230 events over the next fortnight. Yeah, running between now the 20th and the 30th, right? That's right, yes. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm gutted to be per- perfectly blunt with our audience. I was supposed to be in Leeds right now, went to the festival last year and thought the talks were, were fascinating, but obviously uh, the funeral, um, for obvious reasons, has has... has rearranged plans slightly but it's amazing to hear that you've got 230 events over the next fortnight um Stuart you've been running this festival for a number of years now what's the highlight what are you looking forward to out of those 230 well obviously every single one of them is an amazing (laughs) uh, event but one of the things I I enjoy about the festival you know we 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 get all sorts of surprises every year and but you know we have events on fintech medtech health tech data coding careers just absolutely everything uh so you know if whatever you're interested in there really is something there for you and 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 some of the events are sort of uh sort of lunch and learn type things come and find out about a particular thing for for an hour others are you know longer sort of half day or full, full day uh, uh sort of conferences lots of stuff on startups from you know how how to start your startup how to fund it how to sell it uh you know what to do on on the attacks how do you build uh build this sort of tech side so always loads of things on there lots of stuff uh this year again on sort of uh, uh diversity because uh leads like many other uh tech sectors are doing lots of, of good work on that and need to continue to do, to do to do that work to make sure that you know, we have uh, the, the most diverse uh, uh, workforces with, within tech uh, and lots of stuff on, on careers and how we bring people into the tech sector and not just through the, you know, sort of the, 
the old school methods from a few years ago, trying to find as many computer science graduates as possible, but bringing people from from all sorts of disciplines and from apprenticeships, to, uh, degree apprenticeships, uh, kickstart schemes, and, and and everything. And so it's just great to see the you know the sort of breadth and depth uh, to, uh, across the sector. Uh, one of the events that always stands out is the, the Leeds Digital Festival Awards, which is on Thursday the 29th. Uh, and they're sort of they're, they're always billed as the anti-corporate awards because they last for about three hours, but the actually award giving bit is about fifteen minutes. There's no black tie, there's no tables, there's no food. You know, it's in a it's in a sort of a gig venue in, in Leeds, so that's always a, a really good fun night. And are there any kind of standout companies that you think? Um, we should be looking for perhaps to have some recognition on that night or individuals that, that kind of really, really scream what Leeds is all about? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't get involved with the judging, so I don't know who's uh, who's who's up for the awards on, on, on that one. But, you know, we have a mix of, you know, the awards like Startup of the Year, so companies uh, such as uh, Sign Up and EdTech Company has, has won that before. We have Best Place to, to Work. Uh, we have sort of a Ones to Watch, you know, sort of up and coming uh, young people in the tech sector. So it really does sort of shine a, a, a spotlight on, on the talent and uh, innovation we've got going on. Uh, but yeah, no, no giveaways for who's, uh, who's won. <laughs> no spoilers. Yeah. Um, look, you talk there about the breadth of, of, of what the festival has to offer. And I think that's a really good point. Like you, you look through those the, the event listing on your website. And it's yeah. cyber, it's ed tech, it's health tech, it's you know how to how to finance your unicorn. Where you look at Birmingham, maybe you think of automotive. Where you look at Belfast, you maybe think of cyber. What do you think Leeds is carving out its reputation as? You know, th- th- there's a lot of competition for regional talent, for investment from from every city going. What do you think it is that stands Leeds apart from from some of those other cities, and and that makes you know that makes you that lightning rod for innovation? Yeah, well, I think there's a few things. A couple of sectors where we're particularly strong, maybe sort of the sort of second biggest sector outside of London is in data and health tech, and there's obviously lots of. Uh, uh, crossover between uh, the two of them, but with Helltech, we've we've got the likes of NHS England, uh, NHS Digital, DWP, all headquarters in, in in Leeds. So there's been a a real big tech sector built around them. We have the likes of uh, uh, TPP, uh, EMIS, BGSS doing lots of work in in that sector. And again, with data, some you know incredible data companies like the Data City, uh, data data shared. Uh, so you know, lots of stuff going going around that. I think one of the things that was coming out strong stronger is uh, on the AI side, and you know, you have companies like Crisp, uh, which is a Leeds based company, but you know, global uh, footprint. They're doing a lot of stuff around uh, online safety and 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 more. Uh, you've got uh, there's a there's a, a building uh, as part of Leeds, uh, Leeds sorry, University of Leeds called Nexus. Uh, and it's a sort of accelerator slash incubator slash co-working space. Uh, and that's got some incredible st- young startups coming through there, building up on the on the AI side. So I think that's where we're going to see a, a lot of noise being made for Leeds over the next few years and just sort of building on those uh, companies that have already started. Yeah. Well, look, um, it would be great if people across the UK if they can get over to Leeds if they've got the time but anyone in Leeds who wasn't aware of the events go check out leedsdigitalfestival.org forward slash events we'll have 
a link in the show notes um, so that it's super easy to, to click on and find. Stuart, which, which iteration of this? Is this the seventh or eighth iteration of the Lisa uh, This is our seventh main festival, but over the last three years, we've had sort of uh, a few mini festivals as well each year, just to sort of we pop up in April for a couple of days just to you know, remind people they're here. Uh, and then we have the main two weeks in, in September. So, you know, there's so many things going on. And as you say, going to leesdigitalfestival.org, uh, most of it is back to being physical in Leeds. So it's probably about 80% physical now, uh, 20% online. Uh, and there's some really interesting things going on over the next two weeks. So if you can come along, please do. Well, state funerals excluded. I will make sure that I come to the next one. It was brilliant to be there last year. I would encourage anyone to do the same uh, and go if they've got the opportunity to, to lead over the next fortnight. Stuart, thank you so much for your time. Good thank luck so much, for Dave. those 230 events. Lovely. Thank you so much.